0: Today's leaders are faced with a host of challenges, whether it's managing a remote team, keeping pace with the industry advancements, or navigating difficult conversations with employees. That's why Training Industries Leading Leadership Development Certificate Program was designed to give you the skills you need to manage successful leadership development programs, which in today's business climate is imperative for lasting success. Explore what makes a great leadership development program and learn strategies to develop your current and future leaders for more information on the program visit trainingindustry.com lld
1: hi welcome back to the business of learning i'm sarah gallo senior editor at training industry here with my co-host michelle eggleston shorts editor-in-chief
2: welcome today we're discussing a topic that has long been a challenge for many learning leaders training a global workforce. And as the world of work continues to expand across borders due to advancements in technology and the rise of remote work, some training professionals listening to this podcast may in fact be tasked with training a global audience in the future. To learn more about training an international workforce, we're speaking with Ken Stockman, Senior L&D Strategist at IBM Consulting, Malane Mahabir, a certified professional in training management and knowledge management associate at Guardian Insurance, and Chiselle Cry, global head of learning and development at Western Union. Ken, Melaine, and Chiselle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Perfect. Yes, welcome. Well, to get started, can you each speak to your own experience with training a global workforce or even just a global group of learners? What challenges did you face along the way and how did you overcome them?
0: I think one of the challenges that we face at Western Union is the volume of need and diversity of need versus the scalability. So having a global development program frameworks in place still leaves local needs unanswered. And that may may call for creative solutions like peer learning, leveraging existing resources, job aids, etc. How we overcome yeah. them? I still think that we're working on some of that, you know, because obviously every organization runs lean in certain departments and L&D is no different for us. So we, we tend to build a global framework and then try to meet local needs with our HR business partners. So using that global framework and consistent language but the scalability is you know can be really difficult for us still
3: yeah i want to pick up on that i think um so i came into the global organization actually delivering content first before i switched into developing it so i got to get see kind of firsthand the cultural demands of the different regions that i was going to deliver the content took me about i guess a good maybe year before I started to kind of piece that together to understand that from a cultural perspective, there were different training needs that need to be met. And then also in a large multinational organization, business needs. So there's kind of a local culture based on where you are geographically, but then also from a business perspective that also had their own business culture. Uh, so when you talk about culture and, and global environment, I think those are some key elements that that we found that really drive not only how you deliver education, but then when you start to de- start to develop it, what do you have to think about and what do you have to consider in terms of some of the kind of challenges? So kind of the common things like language and context are always at the top of the list. But then kind of can you really deploy a globally standard education in an organization like this where culture is such a difference between not only geographies, but then the business culture? And then just kind of delivery variation. You know, how are you how are you delivering education when you go from one country to another country within the same organization? They all have their different demands, whether it's on how they interact with you face to face or how they absorb self-paced education i think a lot of it is really driven by their cultural contexts and kind of being aware and sensitive to that in my mind and my experience makes a huge difference
4: same thing same thing on my end even in the caribbean i train 500 plus staff in four major regions and then also we have our sales force which is 600 plus in two regions and then i have agents in 21 countries So the challenge that I would face is culture, 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 culture. I cannot sing that loud enough. And also learning not to have an emotional reaction to a cultural way of doing things because in Trinidad, we would do things a particular way. So when I now have to change my style a little bit, I have to tweak it. I also have to learn the various nuances per product, per region. So a motor product in Trinidad May look and smell the same in Barbados, but because of the laws of the land, there may be some change, some difference. So having to learn those things and understanding, okay, I'm with Barbados right now. I'm with Jamaica right now. I can't make that joke, you know? (laughs) So I get mixed up sometimes with what is covered, where and why, and learning the laws of the land, especially that is a challenge for me and a constant constant thing that we're trying to work with.
2: Yeah, definitely. It, what works in one region isn't gonna work in another. And so there's just countless challenges that learning leaders can face when trying to deliver that training on a global scale. So thank, thank you all for sharing. I'm also interested to hear your thoughts on how training a global audience is different from training a local one. Can you walk us through those differences?
4: Well, for me, there's a lack of personal touch at time. And I think the pandemic did that because before the pandemic, I would travel to these various countries and do the training and in person and you touch, you feel, you see an expression. Now persons have the option to keep their cameras off. Um, So while I may know someone in my country, in my organization, I may know Ken. So even if Ken's cameras off, I could call on Ken. Ken, I know you're there. Let me hear from you. But I would look at Michelle and be like, what country is Michelle from? I don't know. Um, Mish, could you, you know, share a little bit with us? And another thing for me is name pronunciation, because even though we are Mm -hmm. in the Caribbean, somebody's name is spelt one way, but it's pronounced a totally different way. So that pandemic really messed things up with training, but I mean, we were able to do so many other things with technology, with training, but. That's the different look
3: for me. Yeah, it's interesting. and I don't know if it's just because I work in a very globally oriented company, but for me, kind of like uh, this differentiation between a global audience and a local audience has started to blur because I can tell you, like we've got deliveries where we've trained people in our US-based offices who are not from the United States. So they are landed practitioners from, say, India or China who are here on assignment, and it's a group of them who are bringing their culture with them and in all of the context that we talked about before. So, while you think you're delivering a local uh, program? It's not really when you think about it on a global scale. So, that's been something that's very interesting. So, it's kind of like no matter where you are, there you are, you know, kind of a thing where you find yourself. Um, and if you're a global faculty member who is coming here in the US or if i am traveling to another region where i'm co-delivering with a local faculty member you know we've got split dynamics you know i'm i'm delivering in an audience to an audience that is different from me culturally and yet my my co-facilitator is delivering to a very familiar audience so it becomes challenging and and, and one of coordination and and really kind of under you know putting kind of a global hat on And thinking about it before you get there to really make sure that you are in tune with the local audience at the time, right? If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think to summarize what both of them are saying is, you know, the topics and content delivered to, to more global audiences are sometimes just more general. And then training for local audience can be more customized and specific. And a lot of times the local audiences, especially if the training is performed by someone local as well, There's more participation from the trainees and and then when delivered to a global training, kind of what Melanie was saying, like sometimes they keep their cameras off and, you know, they're not participating, but local participants probably feel more connected and are more comfortable to participate, especially if they know who's the person who's training. So I'd say that that's what I found.
3: Yeah, I think the other thing too is like I found like our the examples and the stories we use, whether we're doing developing case studies or delivering stories at the time, also need to be reflected and adapted um, to your local audience. So I know I've learned from experience of using stories about a case study around uh, a U.S. government project uh, that I was on to an audience in China didn't really resonate with them because of just the difference in how they interact with their government. And, and so I felt like I lost the, the meaning of the example that I was trying to convey because I just chose the wrong story. So I think being adaptable in that way and understanding what stories can I use and how can I, or how can I adapt this story to be more locally relevant when you're in a global audience makes a huge difference for learning penetration and kind of reinforcement of the the skill you're trying to build and not getting it diluted by using a bad example or a bad story or inconsistent or irrelevant story
4: i agree to that uh i just don't want to lose the learners because they can get turned off immediately right i agree to that ken and chazelle
1: yeah for sure I do want to take a moment to kind of dive into that technology aspect here, because you all have mentioned, you know, it can be difficult when people have their cameras off and that engagement piece can be really hard when you're training a global audience. So I'm interested to hear how have you all used technology or virtual tools when training a globally dispersed workforce? And do you have any tips for our listeners around how to engage learners in a virtual capacity? For me, videos videos, videos
4: to show, especially the similarities of a product. So if I'm training on a Moto product, I use Moto because it's easier, right? I can use a video to to lump, okay, you're covered for this, you're covered for that, you're covered in the event of this, because everybody would have that because of the laws that they learn, right? And then, then we could discuss the differences and I could also send the video out that way for continuous learning, they can check it out at any different times. Breakout rooms, that helps. Breakout rooms to use as engagement. So I can split persons up as opposed to, you know, I use it when we were training in person and you walk into a room and Ken sits with Chazelle and Michelle sits with Sarah because they know each other. They're from the same company, same department. No, you split them up, right? So breakout rooms, you you can do that. You can split persons up so that you can get more engagement, you can get more cooperation. So that is a form of technology that I use. I also use Venage and Canva for all my infographics, job aids, everything, they are a good So that's it for me with the technology.
0: I would say they really the same thing. I mean, we do a little AI and machine learning powered through our HRIS too to fuel individual development but with Melanie what she said you know i mean we have to give kudos to zoom right we're connected right now on it for this podcast and and it's great and i love the chats and the polls and we have to use it in a global way and it's the best thing that we can use to to engage our audience via a video so
3: yeah i think that's the that's the truth and and it's also how you Upskill your faculty to use the technology most effectively, right? So we have same kind of products that I think most everybody uses, whether it's WebEx or Zoom. It's um, and we started really using this before um, COVID, right? So pre-pandemic, we have you know, started to invest a lot more in doing virtual classroom deliveries and and really not only adapting and adopting the technology, but ensuring that our faculty who were delivering on those technologies were doing things like okay now is the time to use that that poll right or now is the time to take a quick break or uh, look to engage the audience so that you're really leveraging some of the dynamics that we got used to in say a live classroom so that was a really important concept for us was not only taking the technology in and on but how do we actually use it effectively, which I think is a big learning curve for a lot of organizations. Just putting the technology in place is one thing, but really making it work for you is a big part of the investment, especially in the L&D organizations, really kind of making sure that you're helping your faculty or whoever is responsible for delivering be really confident and comfortable with the technology. And that might be you know, even taking it out of their hands, right? So we've got, you, we use things like... Um, facilitators who that's their whole job right is to facilitate these Global uh, classrooms taking on the heavy lift of working the technology but leaving the the content delivery to our faculty and that's really what they're expert at and then I think it's just also experimenting with new technologies things like in you know, a self-paced mode simulations are a big thing that we're that we're now deploying much more frequently because it's not all about the live virtual learning it's also about how do we implement really more effective and efficient uh, self-paced programs um, when we're not in front of people live? So that's another uh, big development for us, which is really kind of coordinating these experiments, these technology rollouts uh, centrally, assessing what works, assessing what doesn't work, then maybe even following the market in certain areas. Like I know my, our leader keeps telling us that VR, not a big thing for us right now. <laughs> But I know there's some organizations out there that are really leveraging VR to use that to help uh, supplement classroom and, and live virtual training.
4: And Sarah, you, you asked about tips, right? What tips we could use, we could give, and I would say ask them what they like. So I would ask Malin, run a quick survey possibly just before you do the training, before you even plan the content at times, ask them what they like, uh, how they would like to be engaged, what time they want to have these sessions, etc. I would also say attend various meetings or company related activities and participate in these events because then you meet various teams and you see how they respond, how they react to their own peers and you learn their names, right? <laughs> you learn their names. So, speak their language. So I'm working with a team in Curacao to go and do a team builder in Curacao, Bonaire, Aruba and St. Martin. And I decided, I don't know Dutch. I can't spell Dutch, I can't smell Dutch. Malene does not know anything about Dutch, but I use Google Translate. So I typed everything that I needed to say, copy, paste it back into the chat, send emails. And she thought I knew Dutch. So she started writing back to me in Dutch. So they, (laughs) she felt very comfortable. So make them comfortable, but use the technology to not hide behind it, but use it to your advantage. The same way I used Google Translate and I have to copy and paste what she said, put it back and I write her back in Dutch. So when I go to these countries now, she feels comfortable. She's at ease. So now she would be introducing me and saying, ah, this is Malene Mahabia and she does this because she is comfortable now because I've used the technology. So as I said, as somebody like attend and participate in events to see how they respond, react, learn their names, speak the language.
3: That's a great point. I mean, I love that reference because just that Google Translate capability, you know, you think about it every day. It's like, OK, it's there. How often do I use it? But that's a great way to kind of really build connection to your learners. I love that example. And I know that in some of my classrooms, we've had people use real time translate through the augmented reality component. When we put up slides in English and they're not really feeling comfortable, they are able to kind of translate the the content from the slide real time just by holding up their phone and their camera in classroom and seeing what the slide says, right? So that whole kind of capability there, even though it's not something we deploy, it's just, it's there to be helpful. And I think learning about that and as a faculty member saying, Hey, if you you don't understand this, whip out your phone and, (laughs) and do a real-time translation. (laughs) That's a great idea.
2: Yes, thank you all for sharing. Those are great tips. I, I really love what you said there, Malaine, about just ask the learners how they want to engage in, in the training, how they want to interact. It, that's going to make everything more successful. And so that that's such a good tip there. We're going to dive into cultural considerations for global training after a brief message from our sponsor. As a training professional, your job is to effectively manage the business of learning. You probably listened to this podcast
0: to gain insights on L&D trends being used by some of the most innovative thought leaders in our market. But did you know that Training Industry also provides data-driven analysis and best practices through our premium research reports? Our entire catalog, including reports on topics such as Deconstructing 70 2010, women's access to leadership development, learner preferences, and the state of the training market, just to name a few, can be found at trainingindustry.com slash shop research. New insights create new ways for L&D to do business. Let training industry research reports assist you in taking your learning initiatives to new heights. Go to trainingindustry.com/shopresearch
2: to view our entire catalog. To create the most impactful training, learning leaders must take cultural differences into consideration when training an international audience. I'd love if you all could share some tips on how to effectively develop and deliver training to a global workforce.
0: One of the things I think my team and I really have to consider all the time is inclusive and neutral language. So really think twice before using U.S. specific humor, phrases, idioms, or slang, because a lot of times our global audience and and our learners, I mean, we have headquarters all throughout the globe. So they just don't always understand those U.S. slangs regardless that they speak the language and maybe have been to the country, they still don't understand it all the time. And it may be really sometimes carrying a different meaning completely. So when we do develop something, we have people from all over the globe looking at it, editing it, you know, including even our values and behaviors, which Western Union recently did to say, how does this word translate? What does it mean? What does our behavior statement mean? Because the foreign listeners may or may not understand it, and you need them to embrace what you're saying and carry that forward. So you need to be really careful. One of the things that the U.S. often says is like, two peas in a pod, behind the eight ball, those types of things. And our foreign counterparts are like, what are you talking about? So really keeping that into consideration and letting them have a seat at the table before the learning is deployed to say, does this make sense or not?
4: Yes, Giselle, I 100% agree with you. Not all jokes are taken the same, right? There would be language barriers. So even though I'm in the Caribbean and a lot of us would have grown up with the same sort of roots and I'm bringing their words that they would use. So for instance, I went to Jamaica once and the HR officer was telling me to take a Juta taxi, a Juta, right, in Trinidad if you have Juta means if you have little children and you give them a sip of water, whatever remains in that water, we call it Juta, right? <laughs> so imagine my concern, a Juta taxi. yeah, Gross. <laughs> so only when I got to Jamaica and I saw Juta on the, on the taxis, it was Jamaican uh, Unified Taxi Association or something like that. So it, it was really an eye-opener for me. So not all the jokes, so I have to know what language barriers they have, the greetings and the customs, find out what is acceptable versus what is not acceptable. We may think we know, as Chazelle said, you may think they know, they, they speak the same language, but everybody has some, some difference that they hold true and dear to their heart. So we want to respect that when it comes to cultural considerations.
3: Yeah, I I, I like that. That's a funny story. (laughs) Some of the things, I mean, language definitely is something we try to get very focused on. And even from a delivery perspective, I know I've been caught before using metaphors that I would be fine using in in the U.S. that don't translate in other specifically like sports metaphors, American sports metaphors, like U.S. football and things like that. But then some of the things that we found, things like even time, time sensitivity, right? So when delivering content, you know, five minutes, uh, when you give people a five-minute break, so come back in five minutes. To a, a U.S. and maybe European audience, that means one thing. But then in India and China, it means a whole other thing. Five minutes really is a loose a loose set of time that could be anywhere between 5 and 10 minutes and that's traditional right you have to just expect that because when you may be thinking really rigidly it might be something that you just you have to kind of get used to so that and that also translates into development when we are developing out our modules and we're telling people how long a module should take for just giving them that kind of heads up like this module is going to take you 5 minutes to complete or 10 minutes to complete that's great for an english speaking Audience where where English is their native language where where it's not and because ninety percent of our education goes out in English language you have to make allowances for that right so really kind of to Malan's point and bringing in other people bringing in folks from other parts of the organization other cultures I think Chiselle said the same thing is like really giving them an opportunity to vet the material and say okay yeah this is going to take 20 minutes, really, for this kind of an audience. So that is a really big thing that we're very sensitive to and have have been caught on a couple of times and called on a couple of times. I think the last thing I want to say here is just around also being aware of how your material influences or is influenced by or references any kind of political, religious, social, historical things that might be true in one country, not in another. So being sensitive to those aspects of culture are also really important, especially when you're trying to put down in words, some core concepts.
1: Yeah, those are all such great, great considerations. And I think when it comes to kind of avoiding some of those mishaps, it really comes down to having this strong sense of cultural, cultural Mm -hmm. awareness. So do you have any tips on how our listeners can actually build their own cultural awareness?
0: I think Malane and Kim both said it earlier in some way about just asking, ask about the phrases or general cultural practices from the countries of the people participating, make time for that at the beginning of the training. Even when you say good morning, say it in multiple languages. I mean, know before where they're coming from, hola, bonjour, you know, all of, and then also take the time to say, what language did I not say hello in and how do I do that so that they feel heard and seen and also, I mean, I do think that there are some books out there that you can educate yourself with. Culture Map by Aaron Meyer is a book. When Culture Collides by Richard D. Lewis is also just different idea generators. And then, you know, something really simple is to schedule those trainings where participants from multiple time zones and countries and regions are really encouraged to attend. Obviously, have the gratitude that they are joining regardless of time zone and and then address like, what time is it? And what would you normally be doing? And just spending a couple of minutes to engage them so that they're there and present because you're understanding it might not be the most convenient hour for them. So that's kind of a, a long list of different things, but I'd say that that's some of the things that me and my team are doing.
3: Yeah, I, I, love, I love that part about just getting the, the learners themselves to share a bit on during the learning because in a global, especially in a global environment where you may have people from different uh, geographies uh, attending classes together. So it's really a global mix of employees, not just um, folks from a particular geography. Getting that shared cultural framework and reference, I think, is a, is a really strong bonding element. So facilitating that when you're delivering the learning is really important. So I like that I'll called that out. Um, Just a couple of other thoughts uh, for me when I started learning about this, you know, and maybe it's just because I had the access to the resource. It was, you know, what is my Department of State or embassies put out in terms of cultural awareness, education, or learning that you can pull down very quickly today on the web that makes a huge difference just for getting a little bit of learning around each culture that you're dealing with. And then just some other books that I like. David Livermore's leading with cultural intelligence it's more for leaders in general but i think it applies to the learning environment it's it's helpful to help frame that kind of sense of what having cultural intelligence is all about and then and i and this may be just self-serving but Geert Hofstede which was he's a former IBMer and kind of one of the leaders in research around this topic of cross cultural communications culture's consequences was his biggest and most influential book it's a long time ago that he did this research but still really holds up quite quite powerfully today so two really strong books um, that i would recommend that might be useful
4: yeah i agree with you all a lot on asking a trusted person to share and explain some of the customs some of the traditions i tend to research the country find out what their major foods some of these city names, things to do in the country. So when I say to Ken, I say, "Hey, Ken, so what you did this weekend? Did you go down to Saint Lawrence Gap? Did you do this? Did you do? Oh, I, I, I mean, I had the privilege of going to these countries originally, so I was able to go. And sometimes I vacation in these countries. So sometimes I'd say, How oh, you know, we have this. How you they?" And then that opens the conversation for them to say, you know what, she wants to be one of us, so let's try and help out by participating. That that helps a lot. So researching and of course always asking that trusted person to share and give you the right
2: information.
4: <laughs> right. I so I agree. I agree.
2: Yes that That is great. Thank you all for sharing. Those are some great resources that you shared that our listeners can check out. Aside from cultural differences, what other challenges might learning leaders run into when training an international workforce and how can they overcome them? I think sure Chazelle and Ken spoke
4: about time differences. Mm -hmm. So trying best to schedule training times and I learned that the hard way because in Trinidad, Grenada, Barbados, We are all on the same time. Jamaica, one hour behind. So I'm scheduling a training for nine o'clock. They are now coming into work at eight o'clock. Who wants to do training? 8 a.m. in the morning. As soon as you know, you know, gets me a cup of coffee. You're sitting down by your desk. Nobody wants to do that. So we had to push now. Once we have Jamaicans attending, we have it at 10. We have it at 10, 30. but we asked them what would be a better time, two o'clock, one o'clock. And I had to change my lunch hours as well. Normally, they can't have lunch at club because you have Jamaica to take into consideration. So that is one challenge for me, that that time difference. I mean, there are many different challenges, huh? but that time difference with a global or international workforce to schedule training times that works best for them, not necessarily for you.
3: Yeah. And and on that too, besides the time zones that individually, it's also, and I know we talked a little bit about the technology here before, but even things like internet bandwidth in different countries have a huge impact on what you can and can't do. We talked, I think Elaine said a little bit earlier about kind of having cameras on versus not, so recognizing that if someone turns their camera on. They've blown up their system, or they've taken all the bandwidth that household can can consume, and so being a little bit more flexible in terms of how you're training in international workforce, recognizing some of those things, and knowing that in advance. I mean, we've had examples in, in dealing with folks in China that their internet is intentionally slowed down points in time. So, you know, having to kind of understand that and what you can and can't do when it comes to even our self paced learning. Making sure that you're not really put pushing so much content in ways and that are just going to restrict people to access it because if they can't access it, then they're going to turn be turned off or they're not going to take it. And if you're relying on that particular type of training program, you don't want that to be a you know a turn off. Things like even there's no YouTube in China, right? <laughs> so we we can't use it, and you know we put a lot of videos out and some of our content that are things from YouTube we have to find alternate sources for so that some of our audience can participate and actually see that those videos and make them part of their training. So being being sensitive to those kind of, it takes time to understand that. But once you get there, being very intentional and conscientious about remembering that makes a huge difference for our learners.
0: Yeah, I, I would say not all regions around the globe have the same priorities. So keeping in mind that while you may have an overarching training program that needs to be rolled out, different offices, different regions are facing different challenges with their teams and their team members and maybe their production. So it's not always going to be possible to develop content that is 100% relevant for what's going on in each region. So while, while self-paced resources may work in some areas, others may require more hands-on methods. So even if you get everyone to agree on the most important training needs, you know, an overarching global program, you may need to develop it in two or three different types or two different ways to ensure that you can make the largest impact. So You asked, how can we overcome it? And it's just, when you think about designing a program, make sure you put that time in. And like Melane and Ken said earlier, ask, 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 what's the best learning methodology? What's the most engaging for that area based on the content? So don't just assume, make sure you ask and then lay out your development plan or your project plan when you're creating that training for the different methodologies that are gonna stick in that region.
1: Yeah, those are all such great tips. Well, we've covered so much ground today and you shared so many great resources, which I'm definitely gonna be checking out after we finish up this recording. But before we do wrap up, are there any final takeaways or best practices that you'd like to share?
3: For me, it is don't let global training and the cultural diversity around your organization Intimidate you, right? Take it head on. It gives you a great opportunity to invest in your own learning. And for those of you who work in a you know, very large or even small global organization, learning about other people's culture, I mean, that's what brings us together as, as certainly as employees, but people second, secondarily. So invest in it. For me, over the past 10 years being in this role has really opened my eyes to just some things about various cultures that I would never have known had I not been engaged in this space, because I think it's really been helpful to kind of understand some of the really subtle aspects of culture that you only get from being there and also, in, you know, engaging directly with people who occupy that culture, who come from that culture.
4: I'd just like to add listening to the learners, of course, listen, listen, listen you may be the expert in training which is perfect that's what you're supposed to do but you're not the expert in that culture you're not the expert in that country you're not the expert in that organization so listen to them get feedback from them accept the differences and find a workable solution you may have certain things in place that you want that you know if i do it this way it's going to impact the And then they hit you for six, as we call it. That's a cricket reference, right? (laughs) Y'all may say hit a home run. And um, (laughs) so you know that this particular thing that you're going to do is going to hit them for six, but it doesn't work. So you have to not take it personal. It's not about you. It's about finding a workable solution. And of course, enjoying the process of getting to know others because you get to know me. Look how you all know me. You all can come to Trinidad now, you know, and we take <laughs> our boat over to Tobago and then we have Barbados. See, we have all these places. So enjoy the process of getting to know others. Find out different recipes, talk to them, what, you, what you're doing this weekend, you know. So don't take it personal. Listen to them, accept the differences and find
1: a workable solution. Yeah. So that would be my final takeaways. Perfect. Well, Chazelle, Ken and Malayne, thank you so much for speaking with us today and sharing your thoughts. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they would like to reach out?
0: LinkedIn learning for me is the best. This is Chazelle. And I think if someone wants to reach out, I would love to network with you. That's the best way.
3: Yeah, I would say link, for me, LinkedIn, certainly I, I'm very responsive to posts and, and you know, in-mail for sure, if you got access to it.
4: Once again, LinkedIn, get the spelling right, because those in Trinidad can't even get it right. Sometimes my parents don't get it right. So once you get the spelling right, you would be fine to meet with me and we can engage. I have videos there, I, I do a lot of content, a lot of talking to persons because I want to know, I want to learn, I want to continue growing. So Malene, Mahabia. right? So you could reach out at LinkedIn.
2: To learn more about global training and to view the highlights from this episode in animation, visit the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash podcast.
1: And don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at infotrainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening
3: to the Training Industry Podcast.